Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. This morning we are uh, picking up in 1 Peter. We've uh, started studying the book of 1 Peter in uh, a couple of weeks now. And we are still at the beginning of the book. Most of the letters we find in the New Testament open up with introduction and a thanksgiving section. And that's the same in First Peter. We uh, want to look at books of the Bible and go through the scriptures as we uh, kind of paragraph by paragraph uh, sentence by sentence, so that we can hear what God was and is communicating to us. And so the book of First Peter is very important. One of the reasons that I find it um, so encouraging is that Peter was known as the apostle to the Jews. He was uh, one of the key members of the church in, Jer- in Jerusalem. But as we noted a couple of weeks ago, Peter writes this letter, 1 Peter, to a section of Gentile churches. And it is true that uh, Paul, as an apostle to the Gentiles, often ministered to Jews. And uh, Peter, as an apostle to the Jews, ministered to uh, Gentiles. And we are probably predominantly uh, Gentile. And the wonder of the gospel is that through the work of Jesus, the, the message of forgiveness and grace and hope and life extends to all people through Jesus. And Peter celebrates that and uh, we celebrate that. And as we study First Peter, I hope that we get more and more connected to the profound truths of the gospel for our lives. As we uh, prepare, and we've looked in the last two weeks at verses 3 through 9, which has as its focus the the wonder of the promises of salvation, the riches and the glory that we receive in in the new birth to Jesus Christ, and, and the riches that we receive in the promise of the Holy Spirit and the way that the Spirit comes into our life and, and changes us and the inheritance and the hope for the future that we have as we anticipate the coming of Jesus' kingdom. And Peter's the one that says that this is an inheritance that will never spoil, never diminish, never fade. And it is kept for us by the power of God. And so because of the great work of salvation, we are made new people and we have a new hope. And Peter goes on to say that we're exiles, we're strangers, we're sojourners in the land because our identity, our home, our hope is in Christ and in his kingdom. We don't put our hope, our trust, our confidence in this world and the world system. We trust in Christ. So as we get ready to uh, look at verses 10 through 12, I must admit that I was tempted to skip those two verses, but that's not really our method here. Uh, 10 and 12 has caused a lot of uh, question amongst 
Bible commentators and New Testament scholars as to the, the purpose and the meaning and how it connects to what Peter has said in the previous verses. So uh, I'm going to challenge you to hang with me a little bit as we kind of get the message of verses 10 through 12. I mean, if we were just to jump to verse 13 and following uh, through 21, that section is filled with practical advice and, and encouragement and challenge. But uh, and, and it would be tempting to go there, but uh, we will go there. But first we're going to look at 10 through 12. And as a way of introduction, and I know this is a little dangerous because it's a little long introduction, so I'll try to make it as short as I can. I want to uh, tell you about a, a, a synthetic organic chemist who specializes in nanotechnology. Now, if you know me, I'm not very technical, so this is pushing the envelope quite a bit. Uh, but his name is James Tour. And, and I would love for everyone to kind of get familiar with James Tour. He's got a lot of YouTube videos. There's things you can pull up on James Tour. He's uh, been a scientist teaching at Rice University in Texas for many years. Uh, what's fascinating about James Tour is he's a, a Jew. And he, uh, in his high school, college years, became a Messianic Jew, became a convert, follower of Jesus. And uh, his faith, his, uh, his testimony, his witness is just profound. It's, it's exciting. It's wonderful. And uh, so, and he is challenging a lot of the, the cultural ideas, especially in the sciences, by his life. And he's receiving quite a bit of pushback, as you can imagine, in being a Christian and, and believing the Bible and believing in science. But uh, it's, he has a wonderful uh, testimony. But he's into this nanotechnology, which I didn't really know much about, but I want to tell you what he kind of tried to translate to uh, dumb people like me, and so I'll just tell you what he said. Uh, he said what nanotechnology is, is the study of individual cells, and that these cells, they've found out, they can manipulate them and guide them. It's kind of like he used the illustration of a car. He, you can take an individual cell, and you can rev the engine up in that cell, and then you can direct that cell to do certain jobs. And what's fascinating about it is, is, is he's looking at the possibility of those little cells being engineered and set loose and them going out and finding a, a cancer cell, so to speak, and attaching to it and drilling down into the middle of it and destroying the cell. It's kind of fascinating. Now, these cells, he says, are... Uh, you can line up 50,000 cells across the span of a human hair. So, you know, we're talking pretty small, little teeny things. Uh, but one of the uh, uh, experiments he did, which he's hopeful will really have ramifications for humans, is that he was working on rats, and he severed the spinal cord of a rat. Now, if you sever the spinal cord of a rat or of any animal or of any human, 
you're pretty much done with all your motor skills, all your ability. For a human being to have a severed spinal cord, you are pretty much a quadriplegic. That's your hope. Um, what he was able to do was he, he engineered these nanocells because once you have a severed spinal cord, you know, all of the nerve endings, all of the tendons, all of the uh, communications with the brain and the spinal cord and the muscle system and everything, there are so many connections that have to be made that they have a difficult time even identifying, but they can identify them, but once they identify them and the spine has been severed, those those connections are all over the place and they can't figure out how to get them back in place. So he engineered these nanocells to identify the ends of those tendons and those connections, those, those nerves, and those little cells will motor themselves up and connect with the other cells and bring restoration to a severed spinal cord. Now, it hasn't come to humans yet, but he was able to do that in a rat. So he severed the spinal cord, injected these nanocells, and there are 21 markers to say that a, a spinal cord reconnection has worked, where motor skills worked, sensation worked, everything worked. And he was able, in a rat, to, through the nanocells, get 19 markers out of 21 which is incredible. It's like really radical stuff. And you say, well, Pastor, that's all fine and dandy. What does that have to do with uh, verses 10 through 12? Well, here's what it is. It's an amazing thing if you... I mean, it's a damaging thing if you are severed with your spinal cord. But it's an amazing thing if you can get it reconnected. If you are severed with your spinal cord, you don't, can't move. You can't do anything. All of your sensations and things are destroyed. But if you get it reconnected, you tap into the life you once had. What Peter is doing is actually encouraging us as believers to get reconnected to the Old Testament the history of the, of the Old Testament, the people of Israel, the prophets in the Old Testament, because we have a tendency to live severed from that history. And I get this from experience, because I've taught and preached through Old Testament bu uh, books several times, and, and we've done even a class, and I appreciate the people in my class who hung with me. I taught on a year in the Old Testament and how it connects to the New Testament. But we tend to want to stick in the New Testament. Every time I come to thinking about a book of the Bible we want to preach and go through, I have a tendency to want to stick in the New Testament because it's so much easier for us. We can pick it up. We get automatic connection with our lives. We we live in that world and we understand the, the meaning of Christ and his forgiveness and the new life he's given us from the New Testament. But that was the concern of Peter. It was the concern of Peter in the first century to these Gentile churches that he was writing to. Remember, Peter was writing this letter not mainly to Jews. 
he was writing this letter mainly to Gentiles. And so, therefore, these Gentiles were pagans. They were lost. They came from a non-religious and not, not a Jewish background. Non-religious or a highly pagan background. But Peter thought that it was so important for these Gentile believers, when he was in Rome, probably in prison, we don't know how near to his death he was, but writing to these Gentile churches, he wanted to make sure that in the context of their life, which was being saved, being a part of Christ's family, but also, as we saw last week, they were struggling with various kinds of trials, various kinds of temptations. And this church was struggling to hang on to their faith. They were being tempted to walk away. But Peter saw how important it was for these Gentile believers to see their connection to the history of Israel, the unfolding plan of God through the whole Old Testament, beginning in the Garden of Eden all the way through, how important it was that we heard the words of the prophets, and especially as they told us about Jesus, His sufferings, and the glories that were to be His and ours because of His sacrifice. And that Peter knew that this would be a a support and a help to the faith of these believers in the first century. And we're studying this book because I believe it's a help. Everything Peter said is a help to us. We must learn the lessons he's teaching for our faith and our life of obedience and our walk with Jesus. And so as we hear these words, we must know that they're not probably the most common words that we hear. They're not most they're probably not the most normal natural idea of what the Christian life is about. I mean, how many times do we think about being a Christian? What does it mean? It means really knowing the Old Testament, knowing the history of the people of Israel, knowing what God was doing down through the Old Testament and how it culminated in the story of Jesus. I'm afraid to say that for most of us we jump to Jesus, which isn't I mean, that's not bad, but what I want us to hear is what Peter wants us to hear, and that is that there is great important history and great important revelation of God's Word to the prophets, to the experiences of the Old Testament, that the Christian faith didn't just start 20 or 30 years before Peter wrote, and that it didn't just start when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That this was the culmination, the work of God down through the ages and the promises and intentions of God to fulfill His desire to make a people for Himself. And we're standing in that privileged position. And Peter longs for us as New Testament believers to, yes, see the magnitude of God's grace and love to us in Christ. But also... To see the magnitude of God's design and purpose and the unfolding of His plan that culminated in Christ. Giving us faith and hope and confidence that there is a big plan that God is doing. That a big work that He is orchestrating. And that when we are standing in the midst of trials and tribulations. It doesn't seem like things are going the way I thought they should go. 
that we're confident that God's doing something big and he's been doing it through all of human history and it's culminated in Jesus and who he is. And it is because of that, I, in the midst of that difficulty, can stand in confidence that Jesus is coming again, that there is a plan and a purpose and I didn't fall off the radar. God has his eye and his, his intention on us, his people. And he is making it real. That's the only thing, that's the thing that I think Peter is driving at in verses 10 through 12. That there is an awesome plan of salvation that God has been doing, building, orchestrating. And it reaches through time, through the words of the Old Testament prophets. And it reaches to the time of Jesus. And it reaches to your time and my time, to our lives. And it's going to reach till the time he comes again. And until we see all of that as God's marvelous plan of historical salvation that culminates in the kingdom of Christ and Christ being crowned King of kings and Lord of lords and we fall at his feet and anything and everything that happens in our life is orientated towards that. Until that is how we live. We will have troubles. Standing firm and believing in Jesus. Facing the trials and challenges. Live in this world as exiles and sojourners. Scattered. So that's the setup. So let's read verse 10 and 12. 10 to 12. Concerning this salvation, so Peter certainly is connecting this passage to what he has just talked about, which is the promises of salvation. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. I've entitled the message, Angels Long to Look, How Do We See Things? How do we see things? And I think it's a pertinent question. It might be not at the heart of this passage, but I think it adds a great exhortation to us. So before we get there, let's look at concerning this salvation the prophets spoke. So the first thing I think we would need to understand from this passage, and and we have to realize that Peter is known to be very concerned, and and as we study through 1 Peter, we're going to see that Peter is very concerned that we as believers, Gentiles and Jews, understand how connected we are to all of the events in the Old Testament. And therefore, we can say Old Testament prophets spoke of Christ the Savior 
and the Christian message. Peter is saying, don't think that you're on your own. Don't think this is a new thing. Look at the scriptures. Look at the prophecies in the scriptures. Now, I know that what happens in most schools, like if you go to the university or, uh, or even some Bible schools in our land, that you go to an Old Testament class and the first thing the professor is going to try to do is convince you that there is no such thing as foretelling. And there's some trickiness about the words. Foretelling is future telling, telling beforehand. And then there is foretelling. That is, saying something to the culture at the time in the moment. And so some Old Testament professors, and I remember one in my experience, would say that we are, are doing disservice to the Old Testament if we hold up this idea that there's any foretelling in the Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament is foretelling. It's, it's revealing the Word of God for the moment in the time that it was delivered. It was instructions for the people. And it wasn't talking about the future. If we do that, we discredit the Bible because we make it a magical book. We make it some kind of prediction book. And those things are out of bounds. But I would say that Peter would raise his hand and say that's, uh, that's absolutely false. Because Peter clearly believes that the prophets in the Old Testament spoke the very words of God, the oracles of God, the message of God, and that they didn't make up things on their own. They spoke exactly what God had commanded them to speak. And I, I think I would like to just look at Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21. As just a reference to that point. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 21. Chapter 1, sorry. <laughs> chapter 1, Second Peter verse 21. For prophecy never had its origin in human will. But prophets... Though humans spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I think it's better and, uh, uh, that carried along be interpreted driven. Pushed along. Prophets in the Old Testament were not just giving their ideas. They didn't have just new brainstorms or or sleep on an idea and came up with a, a, a new uh, design or a new angle. They were speaking the very words of God. And I think you can look in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, starting at verse 22, which shows this. One of the probably one of the best and biggest Old Testament passages that speak about and show us that the prophets in the Old Testament were foretellers comes from Isaiah chapter 53. Chapter 53, look at verse uh, in chapter 53, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 starting at verse 22 quotes Isaiah chapter 53. Verse 22, he says, He committed no sin and no deceit was in his mouth. 
This comes from Isaiah 53, 9. And it's a direct quote. Peter is, from the words of the prophets in the Old Testament, from Isaiah in the Old Testament, gaining and teaching an understanding of who Jesus is and what he did when he came into the world. And he says he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Lifted right out of Isaiah 53. Then, in verse 23, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins. An absolute quote from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. No, uh, verse 5. He quoted from Isaiah 53, 5. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might, we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Another quote right out of Isaiah 53, verse uh, 6. And so, and then, if you go on, for we were like sheep going astray. Another quote out of Isaiah 53. Peter, in his own letter, makes it plain and clear the importance of the Old Testament prophets. I mean, there are other passages and many of them, but Peter is generally saying, like I think of Psalm 22, where it talks about the crucifixion, or I think of uh, Genesis 49.10, where it talks about the, the rule of a promised leader and a king. Or you can think of Daniel chapter 9. I mean, there's so many places that we should be looking at the Old Testament. Peter is longing for Gentile believers to understand the gospel and the importance of the gospel and to see its connection with the promises of God and the unfolding of God's plan down through the Old Testament and coming to revelation in the life of Christ and being alive and well and growing in our lives. So that we're confident... Of this great plan of God that is coming to fruition. And we're confident that he will take us to his uh, Christ's kingdom one day. And that we can be assured of it. So certainly there is the promise. I remember uh, Isaiah 53 of course is one of our probably best known Old Testament passages. Because it is so profoundly speaks of the work of Christ. I remember uh, we had a, a young lady that attended our church years ago. She was a PhD student in political science and had come from China. And uh, her parents were part of the uh, Communist Party and she had never heard of anything outside of communism and that there was no God. And uh, she began to investigate and read all kinds of religious books. And then he, she came to reading the New Testament. And, and through reading the New Testament, the power of the words of the gospel, she became a believer. And we were privileged to have her here and going to church here. And I'll never forget, in my office, just meeting with her and reading to her Isaiah 53. She had never read that before. She had never even looked at that passage. And as I was reading, the lights were just going off. 
about how this was a prophecy of Jesus. She was like, how long ago was that written? That's in the Old Testament. And she was just excited and ecstatic because it confirmed to her the truth of the gospel that she presently believed because she knew that it was an unfolding truth of God down through history and that God took care to communicate the truth of the gospel in the Old Testament prophets. And that this was now her history. It was now her story. Just as it now is your story and my story. Part of being God's people and realizing the wonder of God's unfolding plan. So as we think about this, the prophets spoke of the Savior. But the prophets also spoke of the church. And I think of that when I see in verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you. If you surveyed a thousand Christians and you asked them to tell you what is it about the Christian faith? What's the essence of the Christian faith? I, I almost guarantee grace would rise to the top. The word grace would stand out. And here, Peter recognizes that the prophet spoke of the grace that was to come to you. The prophet spoke of the existence of the church of Jesus Christ, the the change of people's lives because God in His goodness sent His Son into a broken world sent Him to the cross as He willingly went to the cross to provide forgiveness and salvation. And on the basis of His sacrifice and Him standing in our place on that cross and then conquering death through His resurrection, the grace of the gospel flows to all people. And grace fundamentally is God's pity, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's life, God's hope and purpose given to people who can never earn it, never deserve it, but receive it as a gift. Peter recognized that the whole Old Testament, that much of the Old Testament was directed to a revelation and an expectation and a hope of this one day of salvation. And Peter spends much time to connect us to the reality and truth of those Great things. It says in verse 11, the heart of it, these prophets searched, end of verse 10, about the grace to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances of which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah, and the glories that would follow. Even Peter characterizes the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the prophets in the Old Testament as the Spirit of Christ. 
And they searched intently to find out when this would happen. That means that they took up the scriptures they had themselves from the prophets before them. And they searched intently to find out when this would happen. They considered all the oracles of God that God had given them. That God had spoken through them. And they searched intently to find out when this would happen. But Peter says, what is the truth? In verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. They were serving us. They were serving the church. They were serving the believers in the first century all the way to the 21st century. Because it was this age of the church that was benefited and instructed and guided in our understanding of the meaning and significance of Jesus Because they predicted, as it says in verse 11, the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. When it comes to the sufferings of the Messiah, we must recognize that the age of the Messiah is not the age of absolute freedom and absolute peace and absolute health and absolute blessing. We still long for that day. The sufferings of the Messiah came into this broken world and Christ still suffers with us in the midst of this broken world waiting for the glories to be revealed. It is indeed Christ's work still going on in us in a broken world. And Peter knows the danger of being overthrown by trials and tribulations in this world. But he knows also the, the confidence and the encouragement it is to see the unfolding of God's plan at work in you down through the histories and anticipating in the future. Second, as we look at this passage, we must recognize that there is the work of the Spirit The Spirit of Christ was at work in the prophets, even though Christ had not come. And it's interesting in verse 11, the Spirit of Christ, it's the only only two times in the New Testament is the Holy Spirit called the Spirit of Christ. Here and in Romans chapter 8. But what it shows us is that there is a uniformity in message and in purpose and in design. That God, throughout the Old Testament, planned to send Christ. And Christ is at the pinnacle, the high point of God's plan of salvation. And everything flows from Him. And the glories that will be ours as we trust in Him come because of who Jesus is. And that He is the King of kings and that He is the Lord of lords. And the same Spirit that worked in the prophets is the same Spirit that works in us. And we are all moving towards the culmination of history when Jesus will be the reigning King. And therefore the question for us is, are we faithful? Are we living in light of that glorious day? And then that brings us to the last point. Angels are still looking to the glory of Christ's unfolding kingdom in the lives of believers. It says in verse 12, 
It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. There is a glorious picture of God's wonder and wisdom and grace and goodness and bounty taking place through Jesus Christ. And it was a mystery. It was hidden. It wasn't comprehended. It is almost mind-blowing, and especially to the angels. If you think back, and you did a study through Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. The wisdom of God and His plan of salvation is done in such a way that it it displays to all of the heavenly beings the wonder of God's grace and love for all to see. And the angels, they get it. The angels understand the wonder and the miracle of this grace. As they look into these things that we are experiencing, they recognize that the ultimate reality, God's ultimate perspective, finds a, a revelation, a realness, uh, uh, boots on the ground event happening in the lives of God's people. And as the angels long to see the glory of that kingdom, as the angels revel in God's unfolding plan of salvation that is scooping up broken people and bringing them into the kingdom of Christ and making them a people for God in His glory throughout the ages. As the angels see that, they delight and long to see the glory of God magnified. It's a privilege for us to be swept up in God's grace. And Peter wants us to realize that in every situation of our life, every challenge and every moment, we're not just individual people on planet earth with no destiny and no purpose. We are a people with a destiny and with a purpose and God's eye is on us and God's grace and goodness is being revealed in us. Oh, that that would be our joy and our hope. As we close, what does this say to us? It reminds us that from a Christian point of view, the Old Testament is not just some time-bound book for people, old people to read or old generations to read. It is, it is the future-orientated revelation of God's future plan of His kingdom and it declares to us our roots, our heritage, and our spiritual foundations. Next, there is the continuing storyline of God's history as it is revealed throughout time. And the church can take over the New Testament as a a story of our life and our experience as part of the revelation of God's grace in the midst of God's people. And that includes Old Testament and New Testament. We must take over these scriptures for our encouragement and our strengthening. And lastly, let the inexpressible joy. Peter mentions this 
inexpressible joy. He brackets that first part when he describes salvation with joy and inexpressible joy. May the inexpressible joy permeate our lives as we see the grand scheme of God's grace to us. Don't neglect who you are and your heritage. The promises made in the Old Testament for they will give us confidence in the days ahead. The analogy of the severed spinal cord is that we as believers don't live our faith severed from the history of the Old Testament. God's revelation to us. May it be a source of encouragement and strength. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you loved us. Lord, we thank you for the unfolding plan of your salvation. Down through history, as we look at the early books of the, New, of the Old Testament, we understand your plans and purposes for your people. We understand that we went astray and sought our own way. But Lord, that you pursued us. You love us. You invited us into a covenant relationship and you established a king, a Lord, who would come and redeem a people for yourself. Lord, thank you for the picture and the promise of the Savior coming into our world. Thank you, Lord, that through the prophet's words we realize that suffering and crucifixion And being slaughtered was part of the plan because Jesus stood in our place. We might not fully understand that without their words. And we thank you that that is part of our history. Lord, we pray that as we live in the present, we recognize Christ's love and presence with us, that we will be confident of a day that is coming Even in the midst of challenges and struggles in life, we pray that you would fill us with faith and confidence that your plan is unfolding and we are swept up in it and we live for it because there's nothing more important than Jesus and what he is doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.